Hello and welcome. I'm Leila Gulen. I'm the co-host of Quantitative Investment Insights presented by Greenwich Quantitative Research. Greenwich Quantitative Research is an Asia-Pacific market-neutral quant fund, and the founders have experienced trading Chinese stocks going back two decades. In this episode, Gene Riley, the chief investment officer of Greenwich Quantitative Research, is here with me to discuss the variety of Chinese-listed equities from onshore China to New York listings. As we will learn, there are many more types of share classes for Chinese companies compared with companies from other countries, and this often leads to some confusion. Well, at high level, for various historical reasons, Chinese companies have had a variety of options for issuing shares on domestic and international exchanges. The list includes A shares and B shares in mainland China, H shares in Hong Kong. N shares in the U.S., L shares, and S shares in London and Singapore. Well, due to policy changes in China, U.S.-listed Chinese tech companies have been in the news a great deal over the past year, and investors are certainly familiar with those headlines. Didi, the world's largest rideshare hailing company, surprised investors by announcing on December 3rd, just five months after its IPO. That it will delist from the New York Stock Exchange and pursue a listing in Hong Kong. DD fell sharply in the news. Well, the stock is down over 80 percent from its IPO price. Before we discuss the types of share classes in more detail, it would be great to hear what is happening with DD, Gene. Oh, Leila, thanks so much.、Uh, thanks for that great introduction. DD was a very large IPO, so its significant decline made it one of the biggest. IPO losses for investors, you know, anywhere at any time. Didi raised 4.4 billion, making it the second largest U.S. IPO by a Chinese company, and had a valuation at at launch of approximately 70 billion dollars. So we're looking at a material loss of、uh, market capitalization. The largest U.S. share sale by a Chinese company previously was Alibaba in 2014,、uh, 25 billion. Didi started trading on New York Stock Exchange on June 30th, but there are already signs of potential issues by mid-June. What happened in mid-June? There are a number of conflicting accounts about what actually happened. Everything was happening in the context of a rapidly changing stance by Chinese regulators on large technology companies like Alibaba and Tencent, for example. There was a report on June 16th that the State Administration for Market Regulation. Was investigating Didi's pricing and competitive practices. Subsequently, there were several reports that Didi's management was explicitly requested to delay the IPO to give Chinese regulators time to review their data policies and business practices. So, as we know, Didi did go ahead with the IPO. What do you think their management's thought process was? You know, based on a variety of reports, Didi's management was weighing pressure from their investors for a liquidity event. Along with the impact of regulatory concerns, in hindsight, it's obvious the decision to pursue the listing before the regulatory inquiries were resolved was a mistake. Well, on July 6, just four trading days after the listing, Didi fell over 19 percent just in one day. So, what caused such a sharp drop? You know, on July 4th, the internet regulators ordered app stores to remove several of Didi's apps. The internet regulator cited Didi's violations and on collection and use of personal information, and added it was investigating Didi to protect Chinese national security and their public interest. New users were prevented from registering on the Didi platform, 
existing users were allowed to continue using the app. This was an unprecedented regulatory action by the Chinese authorities. In addition, China regulators announced that they would tighten rules for Chinese companies seeking to list or sell shares overseas. What are the future policy implications of what happened to Didi? You know, shortly after the announcement on Didi, the Cyberspace Administration of China implemented a policy that will require all companies holding personal data on a million or more users to apply for a cybersecurity review before any foreign listing. So the de facto outcome is it will be much more likely large Chinese tech companies will list in China or Hong Kong. And what happened next with Didi and the regulatory review? You know, it became significantly more intense. On July 16th, policymakers sent security and police officials to Didi's headquarters in Beijing to conduct an on-site investigation that is still continuing right now. How is Didi planning to resolve the regulatory issues? Didi announced on December 3rd it would start the process of delisting from the New York Stock Exchange and prepare to list in Hong Kong. Didi also stated that its U.S. shares would be convertible into freely traded shares of the company on another internationally recognized stock exchange after that was approved by a shareholder vote. So Didi sold off sharply on the delist news, even though Didi stated its plans to relist in Hong Kong. Yes, Didi sold off over 22% on December 3rd on the news. There's a high degree of uncertainty of what's going to happen with Didi in the future since the details are minimal at this time. Didi has indicated that they would like to list in Hong Kong, but what are the other options available to Didi if it does delist? You know, Didi could do a share buyback and take the company private. They could delist from the New York Stock Exchange and the trade, stock could trade OTC in the United States, although it's highly unlikely. And Didi could list on another exchange and investors who still hold Didi in the U.S. could do a share conversion. And what are the issues for U.S. holders of Didi related to a delisting in the U.S. and a listing in Hong Kong? You know, dual listed stocks are completely fungible. Feedback from managers who have done conversions is that the process is easy. If DD can achieve a Hong Kong listing, it should be a straightforward process. Some of China's large tech companies are duly listed in Hong Kong and the U.S., such as Alibaba, Baidu, JD.com, and NetTease. So it's definitely possible. However, it's not entirely clear that DD meets all of the Hong Kong listing requirements. It's been reported that Didi looked at the Hong Kong listing two years ago, but didn't meet the requirements at that time. However, a Hong Kong listing looks like the only option to reserve to resolve the regulatory inquiry and return some shareholder value. So consensus is there will be a way found to get it done and, and to list the stock in, on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. Do companies that are already traded on a major exchange have different options to choose from for listing in Hong Kong? Yes, there's basically three options. Uh, you could do a secondary listing, a dual primary listing, or a listing by introduction. And can you explain how these might work for Didi? Right. Although the requirements for a secondary listing are less stringent than a primary listing in Hong Kong, a secondary listing isn't an option for Didi because companies need to have been traded on another exchange for at least two years. A dual primary listing means there would be equivalent listings on both exchanges, but that's not uh, an option for Didi. Listing by introduction entails transferring existing DD shares from the New York Stock Exchange registry to the Hong Kong share registry. Uh, no new shares are issued. The requirements for this listing are less strict. It appears that DD intends to use listing by introduction according to people who are familiar with the matter. DD's appointed Goldman Sachs, China Merchant Bank, uh, and China Construction Bank to manage the Hong Kong listing. Bankers have already met with the Hong Kong Stock Exchange and are working on a solution to make sure DD can meet all the listing requirements. 
So this really raises the question of when an investor buys a Chinese stock solely listed in the U.S., what claim do they actually have on the ownership of the company? It's a legally complex question. When a company is solely listed in the U.S. by what's known as a variable interest entity, which we'll discuss a little later, the issues around ownership are the most complex. Ownership rights are much more straightforward for convertible dual listed shares that are listed both in Hong Kong, you know, for Chinese stocks, um, stocks solely listed in the United States under a Cayman VIE structure are just much more complex. Given the sharp sell-off in DD right after its IPO, along with the policies from China, was there any commentary or action from U.S. financial regulators and, and protecting U.S. investors, I would imagine, must be a concern? Yes, this is a major concern and, and comes back to the earlier question of, you know, what claims do you have on a company when you're when you're purchasing something via a variable interest entity? So, yes, the SEC has shown great interest in late July. The SEC permanently halted all IPOs from Chinese companies, given the regulatory uncertainty. The SEC is particularly focused on companies that use a variable interest entity structure to list in the U.S. from China. The SEC is concerned that investors, you know, aren't really aware of the complexity of the structure when they buy a stock with a VIE company behind it. The SEC wants companies to explain clearly that investors are not buying shares of a company headquartered in China. Rather, they are buying shares in a Cayman entity. In addition, Chinese companies using a VIE structure need to explain in more detail the relationship between the Cayman entity and the parent firm. Okay. Well, let's talk about this now. What is a variable interest entity? A variable interest entity is a structure that allows an offshore entity via contractual arrangement to control and receive the economic benefit of an onshore business. However, the contractual arrangements do not include ownership of the onshore business. The offshore entity is a company usually in a jurisdiction such as the Caymans. Why is there a need to set up such a complex structure? Why can't the Chinese companies list standard ADRs? VIEs have been used by Chinese companies for two main reasons. First, the VIE structure is used to avoid foreign ownership restrictions under the Chinese law, quote unquote, special administrative measures for foreign investment access. This law forbids foreign capital in sectors such as telecommunications, internet news, and media being held by foreigners. To satisfy foreign ownership restrictions, legally speaking, VIEs grant no actual direct ownership of the underlying asset, so they're not a violation of Chinese law. For Chinese companies whose businesses fall under the foreign ownership restriction laws, the only way for them to attract offshore capital from private equity and other types of investors or to ultimately list overseas is by using the VIE structure. Second, VIEs have been used to avoid listing approval rules. Historically, Chinese exchanges have been much more stringent listing requirements, and the approval process takes considerably longer than it takes in the United States. To illustrate this point, neither Amazon or Facebook would have received listing approval in China at the times of their IPOs because they didn't have the requisite profits. How do VIEs enable Chinese companies to avoid listing approval rules? China established the rules in 1994 that require companies seeking to list overseas to receive prior approval from the state council. The VE structure provides a loophole because the 1994 rules do not include companies that list overseas. From the time that 
Cena did the first VIE to list in the United States in 2000. The VIE structure has been used by the majority of Chinese companies in technology, media, and telecommunications to raise capital by listing on U.S. exchanges. Alibaba, Didi, Tencent are among the many Chinese companies that have used VIEs. It's estimated that 80% of the Chinese companies listed in the U.S. use the VIE structure. The VIE structure has also been used by Chinese companies that have listed on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. So, since VIEs have been used by so many companies over the last two decades, Chinese officials must be aware that the structure is used to avoid onshore rules. The Chinese officials have been aware of the VIE structure and what it did for the Chinese economy over the years. The VIE structure helped Chinese companies such as Alibaba, Tencent, Sina, Baidu, and many others raise billions of dollars of needed offshore capital. Both international investors who profited on their investments and Chinese companies who raised offshore capital greatly benefited from the structure over the past 20 years. VIEs have come under regulatory scrutiny in China a number of times in the past, but it's not been banned by regulators. The VIE structure was a major news topic over the past year, particularly in the U.S. Many overseas investors have been raising concerns that China might ban the use of VIEs outright. Clarity over the use of VIEs appears to have arrived. The CSRC, the Chinese Securities Regulatory Commission, published a draft of new listing rules on December 24th of uh, 2021 that include a VIE structure for companies filing uh, for offshore listings. This removes the uncertainty that the VIE structure could be banned. VIEs have been officially recognized. VIEs must receive approval from the CSRC before listing overseas. This closes really the regulatory loophole that, that previously did not require a Chinese regulatory approval. The CSRC stated that the rules would not be applied retroactively. Companies that were currently listed abroad would not be affected. The rules also include language indicating government officials can require a company to dispose of assets or businesses if its offshore listing jeopardizes national security. The CSRC didn't say when this is becoming effective. What risks are usually cited with respect to owning a Chinese stock through the VIE structure? The main risk of holding a VIE structure that have been cited in the past are the risks that the VIE structure will be declared invalid by China regulators or otherwise banned, and the risk that the contractual arrangements will be unenforceable or insufficient to retain control of the VIE. You know, some of that risk has been removed with the CRC's new listing rules. However, we can imagine a, a number of edge cases in which shareholders would want to you know, enforce their claims on the assets of the company, and uh, the VIE structure has not really been tested legally to demonstrate how strong investors' claims are on the assets of the Chinese onshore companies that they that they own via the VIE structure. So, still many questions remain. All right, we mentioned at the beginning of our discussion that there are a number of different China share classes, and Didi is currently an N share since it's listed in the U.S. Now, if Didi lists in Hong Kong, what share class will that be? It would become an H share. Okay, what are the reasons for the different share classes? Yeah, it's a great question uh, that really requires us to think a little bit about the history of how the Chinese um, equity markets have evolved. Um, and there's, there's reasons for the different share classes. From a China regulatory perspective, you know, control, you know, which investor base, domestic or foreign, can access the stocks. 
from a Chinese company perspective, um, you know, it's all about accessing capital and their ability to list. You know, for local listings 20 years ago, there was a limited pool of capital available onshore and the listing requirements are very stringent. Uh, in the U.S., there's significantly more liquidity available in capital markets and the listing requirements, you know, for IPO, for growth capital companies, you know, are much less restrictive. Well, Gene, can the same company list on multiple exchanges or have multiple share classes? Yes. Some companies will list concurrently on different stock exchanges in order to reach a wider pool of investors. Companies that list on both domestic and foreign stock exchanges will necessarily be issuing different share classes. Now, we've mentioned N shares and H shares so far. It would be great if you could give us a complete overview of the different share classes. Historically, Chinese companies have had a variety of options for issuing shares on domestic and international exchanges. That's resulted in a number of different share classes. You know, we would broadly divide them into two major categories, um, you know, share classes that are incorporated inside of China and shares that are incorporated outside of China. What are the share classes incorporated inside of China? No, there are A shares, B shares, and H shares. And the A share market represents the majority of shares listed on Chinese stock markets. A shares are listed on four of the four major exchanges, the Shanghai Stock Exchange, the Shenzhen Stock Exchange, the National Equity Exchange, and the Beijing Stock Exchange. H shares are also widely traded by investors, but they are listed in Hong Kong. Okay, what about B shares? B shares were listed in 1992 as a channel for foreigners to access the Chinese equity markets. Foreigners were not permitted to invest in A shares at that time. B shares were, are listed on the Shanghai and Shenzhen stock exchanges. The majority of B share stocks are companies that uh, you know, don't have significant interest from investors, so they're, they're no longer particularly relevant. As a result of restricting B shares to foreigners from 1992 to 2001, not many strong companies chose to go the B-share route since there were fewer investors. But with the introduction of QFI in 2002, you know, international investors had multiple channels to access Chinese stocks. And, you know, essentially the entire uh, B-share concept was made obsolete. Can all investors access A-shares and H-shares and B-shares? A-shares are open to all domestic Chinese investors who, who have an account. Uh, foreign investors can access A shares via the QFI channel or the Stock Connect channel. The Stock Connect channel doesn't provide access to all of the A share universe and uh, it doesn't provide access to even everything listed on either the Shanghai or Shenzhen stock exchanges. Uh, the A shares are fully accessible by foreigners, just like any other developed market, given that they're listed in Hong Kong. Anyone who can trade a stock on the Hong Kong exchanges can buy H shares. Mainland Chinese investors can access the H shares via the Connect channel on the southbound route. B shares are open to foreign investors and uh, domestic investors who have foreign currency, but they are not commonly invested in by Chinese domestic investors. So what currency are these share classes denominated in? The A shares are denominated in renminbi. The H shares are denominated in Hong Kong dollars. And the B shares have a face value set in renminbi, but actually trade in U.S. dollars. Okay. So for the three share classes that you just mentioned, A shares and H shares are very relevant to investors. Investors may read or hear the term B share, but they should remember that B shares are not really relevant anymore. So now let's hear about the share classes incorporated 
outside of China. All the stocks incorporated outside of China are also listed outside of China and can be accessed by foreigners in the same way that foreigners can access stocks in any developed market. Both state-owned and private companies are incorporated outside of China. Private companies issued outside of China, the main difference among private sector Chinese companies incorporated abroad is the exchange on which they're listed. Each has a different name or, or, or reference. Mm -hmm. For the private companies, those share class names would be N shares, L shares, and S shares. Is that correct? Yes. You know, N share would, de would denote a stock that's listed in the United States, incorporated outside of China, primar primarily incorporated in Hong Kong, the Cayman Islands, uh, Bermuda, or BVI. L shares are listed on the London Stock Exchange, also incorporated outside of China, most likely a Hong Kong, Cayman Island, Bermuda, or BVI, or Jersey incorporation. The S shares are listed on the Singapore Stock Exchange, uh, incorporated outside of China, primarily Singapore, but also potentially the Cayman Islands, uh, Bermuda, or the BVI. I've also heard the names red chip shares and P chip shares used. Can you explain what those are? Sure. Red chips refer to state-owned Chinese companies that conduct the majority of their business outside of China and are listed uh, in Hong Kong. The P chip shares, in contrast, refer to privately owned Chinese companies that conduct the majority of their business outside of China and are listed in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. Your very clear description of the different share classes should help investors when they hear these terms used in the future. So while we're discussing the share classes, could you explain why the price of Hong Kong listed H shares is generally lower than domestically listed A shares, even though the underlying company is exactly the same? I'm talking about the AH premium. We would expect arbitrage to keep the prices of the A shares and the H shares in line. However, over the years, A shares have traded at a persistent premium to H shares. It's historically been a um, very big pricing anomaly you know, in the market that um, you know, has attracted a lot of attention. But you know, I think the, the bottom line reason why we see the difference is short selling is more difficult in, in China. Essentially, there's also no arbitrage. The, the shares are not fungible. The investor bases are different. There's a much more retail-driven market uh, in China versus a more uh, institutionally-driven market in Hong Kong. There's also you know, differences in terms of how those constituencies react to economic data um, and news. Um, it's interesting to note that the premium is generally lower on large cap names where there is you know, significant stock borrow available and widest on, on less liquid shares. Well, Gene, I want to thank you so much for that informative chat. That's all the time we have for now. I'd like to thank our listeners, and we look forward to covering more topics in the future. Thanks again, Gene. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye.